Let's turn in God's word to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And we'll read from verse 8 down to verse 13. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8. Let's hear God's word. Reading, of course, from the authorized version. Likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy liquor, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And let these also first be proved. Then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderous, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. And if you turn with me also to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 6. In Acts chapter 6 and verse 1 we read, And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own blessing this reading from his own precious and infallible word. Now, my text this morning is taken from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through to 13. And I want to deal with the subject today, understanding the office of a deacon. Now, this is the second message on the subject of serving the Lord as an office bearer in the church of Jesus Christ. Now, last week, remember, I opened this mini-series with a sermon on the uh, genius of Presbyterian church government. Now, let's remember what the church is. It's called the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. 1 Timothy 3.15. What does that mean? 
the church of the living God. Think of the production of the church. You see, the church of Jesus Christ is the creation of God. It's not the creation of man. There's many institutions within this United Kingdom, different organizations, different societies, different fellowships, but they all owe their origin to men. They are man-made, by men, for men, for the benefit and welfare of men. However, the church of God was not developed, produced, originated with any human agency or, or any human ingenuity. The church owes its existence to the eternal purpose and the decree of God. Who's the church master builder? Who's its keeper and designer? Remember, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Think also of the preciousness of the church this morning. Do you know that the church is very precious in the sight of God? This local church. The, 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 the church universally is very precious in the sight of God. How do I know that? The Bible tells us in Acts 20, 28, he purchased it with his own blood. Think of that. He purchased the church with his own blood. Christ alone is the one who gave us life for the church. Think of him shedding his precious blood on the tree. And does that not illustrate and remind us of just how precious the church is to the Lord? He, he loved the church and gave himself for it. He, he purchased it with his own blood. He, he treasures it greater than gold and silver. He, he delights in it. He, he loves it this morning. He, he defends it. He leads. He guides. He, he cares for it. Until he eventually carries all his elect ones home to heaven. He builds it. Think of the purity of the church. Well, we must do all that we can then uh, to make sure that the church is kept pure and true to God's purpose. So the church's worship, its witness, its, its walk, its work is all done first and foremost to the honor and glory of God. Why do we exist? What's our aim and purpose here in Carried Off FPC? Well, we exist for the glory of God and the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we love what God loves. And we, we want to hate what God hates according to his word. Think of the promotion of the church. The Bible says, let everything be done decently and in order, 1 Corinthians 14 and 40. And one of those areas that everything must be done decently in order, where that order is seen, is in the various offices of the church. The office of the elder, ruling and teaching, and also the office of the deacon. So, so this morning, as I've given you that introduction of what the church is, let's look at the office of a deacon. Now, let me tell you something very quickly. There's not a great deal in the Bible about the office of the deacon. In fact, there's only two passages, the two that I've read, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 8, and 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 to 13. And they deal with the subject of the office of a deacon. If you look at 1 Timothy 3, verse 10, it says, Then let them use the office of a deacon, being found blameless. And again in verse 13, for they that have used the office of a deacon well purchased to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. And in Acts 6, you have got the start or the commencement, the, the, the inauguration of the office of the deacon, how it came about. 
And then in 1 Timothy 3, you have the job description or, or really the qualifications of those that use the office of a deacon. You see, the verb from which we get the English word deacon is mostly translated in our Bibles as serve and minister. It's not good to know. Remember the Lord Jesus said in Matthew chapter 20 and in the verse 28, listen to these words, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. You see that word minister? That word minister means serve. And it's translated from the Greek, and the Greek word is deaconos, from which we get the English word deacon. You see, the Lord Jesus was a deacon. The Lord Jesus was the archdeacon or, or, or the, chief, the chief deacon of the church. So what is a deacon? Very simply, he is a servant of the congregation. Remember I told you there's two offices in the New Testament church. Elder and there's deacon. The elders are responsible for the spiritual oversight of a congregation. They determine church policy. They are under God determining church policy according to the scriptures. They, they rule in matters of doctrine. They're responsible for feeding the, the flock of God. But the deacons, they're responsible for all the financial and the temporal affairs of the church. So in order to properly operate the uh, services of the church, we require not only elders, but we require deacons, men who are prepared to serve the Lord in a practical way. And let me add, taking part practically and, and being involved in the finance and the temporal affairs of the church, some people think, well, that's not very important. You don't need to be spiritually minded person to do that job. Well, you're wrong. Because remember in Luke 22 and verse 27, we read, Jesus said, I am among you as one that serveth. And again, the word serveth is the word deaconos. I am among you as a deacon. I've already told you he's the chief deacon of the church. He's the greatest example of what a deacon is. Christ was a deacon to his disciples. He, he waited on them. He, he loved them. He ministered to them. He, 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 he spent his life seeing that he met their need. See, I believe this is an honorable office. And I want us to think for the next 15 or 20 minutes what the Bible teaches about this office. So let's try and understand the office of a deacon very quickly. Think of the commencement of the office of a deacon. If you go to Acts chapter 6, I want you to understand the background. It says in verse 1, In those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, we'll pause there, think of the church in Jerusalem, it's flourishing. The day of Pentecost, 3,000 were saved. A few days later, then another 5,000 were saved. Then as the days progressed into weeks and months, the church grew. Commentators tell us they believe there's up to 20,000. A mighty move of the Spirit of God in Jerusalem. The fire of God had fallen among the people. The preachers who were preaching the word preached with power and unction. The word of God seemed unassailable. The enemies of the gospel were, were powerless to stop it. They were in terror of the word of God. There's nothing that the devil or hell could do to stop the spread of the gospel. The church was on the move. It was going forward. It was marching like a mighty army in Jerusalem and into Judea and heading to Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. The majority of these new converts in the church of Jerusalem at that time were, were Jews. Two types of Jews, Hebrew Jews. 
They were born and raised in the land of Israel. And then Hellenistic Jews. That means that they come from a Greek background. And many of these Greeks were converted to Judaism. And then in Judaism, even though they were religious, they got saved and were separated unto the gospel. And there was a great unity among them. And they decided to sell all that they had. They pulled their resources together. So get the picture. They, they come to Christ. And the master means everything to them. Money meant nothing to them. Their chief was concerned was everybody had food, everybody had shelter, everybody had clothes on their back, everybody had a few pounds to meet their basic needs. And the attitude of these 20,000 and more disciples in Jerusalem was let's get out into the countryside, into Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth, and let's do a work for God and spread the gospel. And that was their great burden. And, and they were being mightily blessed by the, the Lord. And we could commend their zeal and their wisdom, even in thinking these things. And then a problem rose. When they came together to distribute the money, the food, the valuable resources among each other, the, the Hellenistic Jews, the, the Greek-speaking Jews who had got saved, they felt that their widows were being left out. That they were being looked down upon by the strict Hebrew Jews. They were not being well treated. They, 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 they were being neglected. So the apostles had to set aside time, stop preaching, stop the prayer meeting, to decide, well, who gets what? Well, we'll give her four loaves of bread, and she only as a single person will give her one loaf of bread, and, and, and we'll give her some flour, and we'll, and we'll give her some finance. And the apostles immediately saw the danger that there was a great spiritual work done for God that could suddenly come to a halt. And therefore the church at Jerusalem formed and established under the wisdom and guidance of the apostles the office of a deacon. It was set up to ensure the proper functioning of the church in its financial and in its temporal affairs. Now think of our church for a moment. You arrive here Sunday morning, the doors are open, the lights are on, there's heat in the building, it's clean and tidy. An excellent job has been done even in managing the finances. And we've got to thank our brother William for the splendid work that he has done in relation to finances as the chief treasurer with the help of Barbara and Wilfred. You know, as I think even of the church here, we thank God for this beautiful building that we're meeting and we've only opened it in 2018 and, and what we have built we have paid for with the great help of our God and the sacrificial giving of God's people and those finances have been all properly managed okay we only built two thirds of it but we can look forward to the future of getting the rest finished but deacons remember are to the fore in that and deacons are the servants of the church and they fulfill a very vital and necessary position and ministry in the church of God. So, so let's get the picture here. The church of Jerusalem had a problem. There was division in the church. A problem to do with temporal and financial affairs. And what was God's answer? The election of the deacons. The establishment of the office. The commencement of the office of the deacon. Remember this form of church government that was being established was a Presbyterian form of church government. 
The congregation elected the deacons. The congregation elects in the... You see, it, it works on the representative principle. Men chosen by the people from among the congregation to serve that congregation, laboring for the good and the welfare of the church. And what was the answer? Wherefore, brethren, look you out among you seven men, verse 3 of Acts 6, of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Seven men. If you link it up with 1 Timothy 3 and 11, it says, um, speaking of uh, the uh, men of the deacons, it says, let the deacons be the husband of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. The deacon was to be a man. Seven men, not seven women. No disrespect to the women, but seven men. And that's the position of this church based on the Bible. The husband of one wife has to be a man. Um, if you think also of the words there, um, it says in verse 11, even so must their wives be grave. So, so there's a reference in the Bible to the deacon's wife. And let me add just something else. This is not a temporary office. I believe this is a permanent office. In the book of Philippians, in Philippians chapter 1, and in the uh, verse 1, Paul was writing to the Philippian church, and this is what the apostle Paul says. Uh, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops, that's the elders, used interchangeably, and deacons. So in the constitution of the New Testament church, you've got the, the saints, that's the congregation, the men, the women, the children. Then you've got these bishops, which is episcopos. It's also interchangeable with the word presbyteros, which is elder, and the deacons. And it's still the same to this day. And here's the Bible, mentions 1 Timothy 3 and 10, the office of a deacon. Verse 13, use the office of a deacon. And you see, when we have this election in the 8th of March, we're not doing it because we have just decided to do it. We're doing it because God says to do it in his word. It's essential to the smooth running and the spiritual direction and witness of the work of God. This financial aspect, this temporal aspect, is a means to the furtherance of the gospel. Because everything must be done decently and in order. So that's the first point, the commencement of the office. The, the, the second thing is this, the commissioning of the office of the deacon. If you go back to um, 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, and we think of these words in verse 10 and verse 13, uh, it says, and let these also first be proved, and let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. Verse uh, 13, for they have used the office of a deacon. Using the office of a deacon. Let me tell you some things. First of all, it's hard work. The deacons are not just figureheads. They're, they're not like King Charles, who has no real power and authority to, to govern the United Kingdom, even though he's king of the United Kingdom and the Commonwealth. A deacon's not someone who's just going to be elected to do nothing. He's going to take on this responsibility and burden to, to serve the Lord. And that's going to involve hard work. And he's willingly committed to serving the Lord in this way. And he's going to use his hands, he's going to use his brains, he's going to use his time, he's going to use his skill to perform whatever tasks he's asked to do. Now, we don't all have the same gifts. We don't all have the same ability and talents. But, but he's elected as a servant of the congregation. 
Not the sovereign. He's elected as a servant. Not a loafer. He's elected as a laborer. And what do we need in Carried Off FPC? We need workers to be elected as deacons. First of all, because it's hard work to be a deacon. It includes a lot of time, a lot of effort. They give themselves to this work. Let me tell you something else. It's a humble work. The kind of men that were put into office, those seven first deacons, were outstanding men. Men of great spiritual gifts and ability. Men of stature. Men who understood the gospel. Men like Stephen. Men like Philip. They didn't say to the apostles, wait a minute, you want us to serve tables? You want us to distribute bread? You you want us to give out food? Dole out a bit of money? No way. Not us. We're gifted. We have got powers. God has given us this ability to preach and do other things in his name. See, these men were not on an ego trip. They were willing to humble themselves. They were willing to do the humblest task. Despite their educational background, despite the gifts and talents that these men had, these men knew that they weren't worthy to be saved. These men knew that they weren't worthy to serve the Lord. They knew that they would often be uh, in the background, not in the public eye, not in the limelight, doing an unseen work, maybe even feeling that they're doing a, a thankless task, a menial job. But they did it as unto the Lord. It was a humbling work. I'll tell you something else. It's a, it's a helpful work. What were they doing? They were helping the apostles. The, the nature of the work of the office of the deacon is to support the ministry of the apostles. The apostles said, choose out from among you seven men. To do what? To help support the ministry of the gospel. It was an important work, therefore. It had a big impact on the gospel. Every decision that was made by those seven men was made in light of supporting and helping the the spread of the ministry of the gospel. And they faithfully discharged their duty and responsibility. And their aim was to add to the peace of the church and bring about unity. Think of the word united, U-N-I-T-E-D. One letter you change and it becomes untied. And that church in Jerusalem had become untied because people felt neglected. And here was the answer, seven godly deacons. And their aim was to promote the peace of the church because the peace of the church was precious. And it led to the prosperity of the church. Did you read what we read there in Acts chapter 5? Or Acts 6? And the number and the word of God increased. And the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. You see, it's there when the church is united that God commands the blessing. It was a helpful work because it aided the peace and the prosperity of the church. I'll tell you something else, a heartfelt work. These men, their heart was in it. They, they believed that God had called them to serve others. And they did it lovingly. And, and they did it graciously. And they did it gladly and willingly, joyfully as unto the Lord. Because their heart was involved. God has given them this opportunity. To serve him. And to serve him for the good of the whole local body of God's people. And what was in their heart affected their head. And what was in their head affected their heart. Their heart and head worked in unison. And God blessed. Could I tell you something else? It was an honorable work. 
First Timothy chapter 3, verse 13 says, they that have used the office of a deacon, well purchased to themselves a good degree, and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? It's, it's nothing to do with earning works to get to heaven. It means that they had joy and gladness and satisfaction, gratification in doing the will of God. They had an eye to the well-done, good and faithful servant. This was a, a dignified and an honorable standing that they had before men because they were doing the will of God and doing it honorably as unto the Lord. That's the commissioning of the office of a deacon. But one final thing, the character of the office of the deacon. I believe this morning, and I say this respectfully, there's no such thing as only a deacon. Oh, he's only the deacon. The first deacon, seven of those men, they were Greek-speaking men, but they were mighty men, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, under the control and power of the Spirit. These men were great preachers. Some of these men did signs and wonders in the early church. And the qualifications of these men, the standards for these men is set out for us by Paul to Timothy, whom Timothy was pastoring the church at Ephesus. He wanted them to elect men who were saved. Saved men. Men who had a good testimony. Look at um, 1 Timothy 3, verse 8. Likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre. We'll, we'll pause there. Here's their personal life. Here's their, their private life. And it's open to scrutiny. He says in verse 10, and let these also first be proved, tested, as they use the office of a deacon and serve the congregation before the Lord and do this work, let them be found blameless in their walk, in their talk, in the work that they do. They're beyond blameless. You see, even the emphasis in verse 11 even so must their wives be grave, not slanders and sober, faithful in all things. The emphasis here is on the, 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 the wives. It's interesting that the Bible doesn't mention the elder's wife, but it does mention the deacon's wife. You see, why? Because the elder's wife, her husband's involved in a work that she has no part in. I say this respectfully. And you know this, my, my wife is not the assistant minister here in the church. But in the, the work of the deacon, the wives come to the fore because th there is a need for women to talk to other women about some womanly matters. And the women are helpmates. And they're to be grave, not slanderous. They're not to bring a false accusation. So these saved men have to have a good testimony. That's one of their characteristics. These saved men must be scriptural men. It says in verse, uh, um, uh, verse 11, um, sorry, verse 9, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. In other words, they're men with a sound orthodoxy. These men believe in God and believe the Bible, believe in the personal work of Christ. I held up the Westminster Confession of Faith earlier, and I would encourage you to read it. I want to ask, do, do you agree with what's written in the pages of the Westminster Confession of Faith? Why? So that there's no question mark over what you believe. 
And remember, as I said to one man, while the Westminster Confession of Faith is good, it's a subordinate standard, subordinate to the Bible. The Bible's the final arbiter. It's not merely what the Westminster Confession of Faith says. That's a good thing to point that out. Now, wait a minute, brother, the Confession says. But what saith the Scriptures? Because the Scripture stands head and shoulders over the Confession, good as it is. So, so these men must hold the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. They must be, be scripturally minded men, sound in orthodoxy. No, no question that they don't believe certain things that the Bible teaches. I'll tell you something else. These men must be sanctified men. It says, let them also first be proved. The first men were full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. First seven men that were elected deacons. And that word, full of the Holy Ghost, means that they were under the control and domination of God's Spirit. And it's not a man's ability or not a man's popularity that, that comes to the fore. They're, they're not elected because of their ability or popularity. They're, they're elected because they're sanctified men. They're, they're under the control and domination. They're full of God's Spirit. And it's God's Spirit that leads them. And maybe you think to yourself, well, I'm not electable. Well, you could be. You may be. Some people may think I'm not elected because people don't like me. But it's not the most popular and the most gifted and the most talented and the most loved and the most respected and the most wealthy. Those men don't naturally or, 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 or normally, they're not elected for those reasons. Men who have the ability to hold office are elected because they're, they're sanctified men. Not only saved and scripturally sound, but sanctified. They're under the control of the Spirit. I'll tell you something else as we finish. They're sensible men. They, they have a great degree of humility about them. They, they can use their heart and their head in unison together. They use the office of a deacon. Dealing with the finance, dealing with temporal affairs, making decisions with great grace and humility. These are sensible men. And as I finish this morning, these are spiritual men. You see, these seven first deacons, you know what they did? They worked together. Notice again the word used, the office of a deacon. It all ties in, served, worked, labored. It's all together. These men were united. Laboring together, serving together, caring together, supporting the, the congregation in the work of God. And that was good for the church. And God blessed, give them peace and give them prosperity. How can we best serve the Lord? By electing men who are saved, men who are scripturally minded, men who are sanctified and under the control of the Spirit, men who are sensible but men who are spiritual enough so that we can work together with their brethren for the good of the church, serving the Lord, the glory of his name, and the well-being of God's flock. And keep this in mind, Christ is the chief deacon. Christ is your pattern. He, he's the great servant. I, I say to you men, never lose sight of Christ. Never lose sight of him coming into the world on a mission of mercy to seek and to save that which was lost. And as you labor for the good of the church and labor for the glory of God, remember to do it with Christ as your pattern. And if you do it, you'll do it well with Christ as your pattern. You'll use your time in office 
to bring influence and peace and prosperity to the work of God. We could say more, but we'll leave it there for today. The commencement of the office, the commissioning, what sort of work it is, and the character. The Lord bless you this morning.